Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ended 1st September 2023. This is Ian Haydock. In this episode, US Medicare price negotiations get soft landing, Medicare negotiations and patent cliff acceleration, Novo Nordisk steps into heart failure, PCSK9s and the convenience battle, and one investor's view of Korean biotech potential. For all of the biopharmaceutical industry's concerns that drug pricing provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act in the US will stifle innovation, when the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, released its list of the first 10 drugs subject to Medicare negotiations under the IRA, the stock market reaction was meh. Biotechnology stock indices closed up on 29th August, and most of the big pharma firms facing Medicare negotiations for the first time in 2026 closed a bit higher as well. Manjit Axon writes investors likely were nonplussed because the list was largely in line with expectations, including the anticoagulants Elicris from Bristol Myers Squibb and Zarelto from Johnson & Johnson, as well as AbbVie and J&J's blood cancer medicine in Bruvica and Boehringer Ingelheim and Lilly's diabetes drug, Jardiance. In addition, all of the listed products will be on their way to reduce the revenue, regardless of lower Medicare pricing on 1st January 2026, because of generic or biosimilar competition, before or within one to three years of that date. Many already are subject to heavy rebating under Medicare Part D plans. Pharma companies' primary argument against the IRA price negotiation provisions is that rather than reducing out-of-pocket expenses for patients covered by Medicare, the impact of the negotiation will be reduced biopharma innovation. The IRA requires Medicare price negotiations to begin nine years after US FDA approval for small molecules and 13 years after approval for biologics, a difference that many in the industry argue makes small molecule drug development less attractive than biologics because of the reduced time in which companies can generate maximum profits. However, for the first 10 drugs subject to lower negotiated prices for Medicare patients in 2026, they will have generic or biosimilar competition at that time or soon after. CMS selected the 10 drugs for Medicare price negotiations for 2026 based on gross Part D spending between June 2022 and May 2023, which does not take into account rebates and other discounts. Up to 15 Part D drugs will be selected for Medicare negotiations for 2027, with up to 15 Part B and Part D drugs chosen for 2028, and up to 20 drugs selected each year after that. While the much-anticipated list of the first 10 drugs did not cause a big commotion among biopharma investors, there still are more milestones to come as CMS works to implement this portion of the IRA. Pharma companies must choose by 1st October whether they want to negotiate, the alternative being not making their drugs available to Medicare beneficiaries, and by 2nd October they must submit manufacturer-specific information for CMS to consider in the negotiations. An infographic article on what it dubs the Class of 26 of Medicare Price Negotiation University profiles who they are and where they come from breaking down the $50.5 billion in gross annual Part D spending 
about 20% of the total. For each of the 10 drugs, it looks at category, years since approval, Part D gross spending, and when generic competition is expected. For example, BMS's anticoagulant Eliquis was approved 13 years ago and had Part D spending of 16.5 billion in the year from June 2022, with generic competition expected in 2028. The infographic by Kathy Kelly and Nancy Pham also provides graphical representations of spending per patient and other metrics, so do check it out for an easy way to digest all the details of the US Medicare price negotiation. It can treat diabetes and obesity and reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease in patients with those conditions. So many were expecting Nova Nordisk's semaglutide to produce a further success in heart failure, and so it has proved. In a trial in obese patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, or HFPEF, the GLP-1 drug improved symptoms, physical limitations and exercise function compared with placebo, and also allowed greater weight loss. Elizabeth Cairns writes the STEP HFPEF results presented at the European Society of Cardiology's annual meeting in Amsterdam could mean yet more patients will begin to clamour for the drug, although this will intensify Novo's ongoing supply problems. While there are a couple of SGLT2 inhibitors approved for HFPEF, Boehringer Ingelheim and Lilly's Jardiance, and AstraZeneca's Farxiga. Neither specifically target obese patients with the disease. Since around 80% of patients with this type of heart failure are overweight or obese, and it's thought that obesity may play a role in the development and progression of HFPEF, there is a significant niche here that Novo's drug could fill. STEP HFPEF enrolled 529 patients with heart failure and left ventricular ejection fraction of at least 45%, BMI of at least 30 kg per meter squared, heart failure symptoms and functional limitations. Administered subcutaneously at a dose of 2.4 mg weekly, the same dose used to treat obesity, semaglutide met both primary endpoints and all confirmatory secondary endpoints. Safety also looked better with therapy than placebo. Entresto, meanwhile, showed a 13% benefit in its pivotal HFPEF trial. Paragon, but was outshone by Jardians. The latter reduced the risk of cardiovascular death or hospitalisation by 21%, allowing it to gain a generous label when approved in 2022 for this disorder, with no limitation on ejection fraction. It should be noted, however, that those trials did not specifically enrol obese patients. The main issue right now, in terms of using it in people that have a combination of HFPEF and obesity, is access and coverage, said Principal Investigator Mikhail Kosiborod of St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute, Kansas City. My hope is that that will change favourably with these data and other data that are coming out in the space. If the diabetes trial, STEP HFPEF-DM, is similarly successful, Novo expects to file for a Wagovi label update in the US and EU in the first half of 2024. At that point, it seems likely that regulators will grant semaglutide an HFPEF claim and payers will find themselves under yet more pressure to fork out for the drug. Merck Co. is making a big push with the Phase 3 programme for its oral PCSK9 inhibitor, MK0616, 
but it remains to be seen whether an oral option will wind up becoming preferred over the currently approved injected drugs, given that patients must still take Merck's pill daily, whereas the injectables offer in many cases far less frequent dosing. In other words, the competition will likely come down to different ideas of what is more convenient. Alaric Diamon writes that Merck said on 25th August that it had launched the Phase 3 programme for MK0616, consisting of three trials expected to enrol about 17,000 patients. Coral reef lipids in patients with at least one atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease event or at intermediate to high risk of their first event. Coral reef, HEFH, in adults with heterozygous familial hypercholesterolemia and coral reef outcomes in adults with high cardiovascular risk receiving treatment with stable lipid-lowering therapies that include at least a moderate or high-intensity statin. The company has been developing MK0616 with an eye toward overcoming the market access problems that prior PCSK9-directed drugs have faced. So far, data for MK0616 indicated it has strong activity. What we are trying to do is to create the most potent LDL cholesterol-lowering pill ever made that does not require constant interactions with the healthcare system, Merck Research Laboratories President Dean Lee told the company's fourth quarter 2022 earnings call on 2nd of February. But in their second main notes, Wolf Research Analyst Tim Anderson pointed out that Merck's competitors, notably Novartis, have called MK0616's commercial potential into question, given that patients must take the pill every day and on an empty stomach. Although Merck contends that patients who will be taking part in the coral reef trials will have already been accustomed to taking daily cholesterol-lowering drugs that come with their own requirements, meaning there's little risk in terms of compliance. For its part, Novartis has deprioritized its own oral PCSK9 inhibitor program citing the preferability of less frequent dosing. The market for pre-exposure prophylaxis is another area where some players have placed a bet that patients might choose infrequent injection over daily pills. But the outcomes trial may ultimately be what makes or breaks MK0616. The US FDA approves PCSK9-directed drugs based on their ability to lower cholesterol levels while requiring cardiovascular outcomes trials to be ongoing at the time of submission. However, CVOTs are also crucial for helping the drugs gain market traction, and the lack of CVOT data at the time that Repatha and Praluent run approval hindered their commercial performance. Merck will also have to contend with newer players reaching the market with outcomes data as well. Last November, Asperion Therapeutics announced successful results from the outcomes trial of its non-statin cholesterol-lowering drugs Nexlatol and Nexlizet, while the Orion 4 trial of Lecvio is expected to read out in July 2026. Finally, amid South Korea's ongoing efforts to showcase its homegrown biopharma technologies and draw foreign investment into the sector, it's essential to learn how potential investors outside the country view the domestic industry and what could be further improved to attract overseas capital and collaborations. Scripps Jung-won talked on these and related topics in a video interview with Noel Lee, Principal, Growth Investments at Novo Holdings Equity US Inc., who has visited Seoul several times in recent months to participate in conferences 
where he's discussed subjects including foreign investment and the Korean biotech industry. I'm a believer in Korean innovation and the work ethic of the Korean people. So if I could tell you my personal roles for Korea as an investor, I want to prove to both myself and other investors in the US, Europe, everywhere outside of Korea, that you can make great returns by investing in Korea, Ji said in the interview. He hopes personally to play a role in really helping to bring Korean biotech to become the next big player in the global market. However, the country should first make sure to have a healthy biotech ecosystem and here the government can play a critical role to help provide incentives to drive exports and capital from the US, he suggested. Wholly owned by the Novo Nordisk Foundation, Novo Holdings is the controlling shareholder of Novo Nordisk and Novozymes and manages a $117 billion investment portfolio with a long-term return perspective. Following a meeting between a Korean delegation, including the Ministry of Health and Welfare, and foreign investors, including Nova Holdings, in the US earlier this year, Ji said he hoped to see an expansion of communication with the Korean government going forward, and certain official initiatives to attract foreign investors, and more critically, talent from the US to add value to the Korean ecosystem. I think America will almost always be the leader. I'm a believer in American innovation. In the early stage science, nobody will ever match America, Ji commented. The NIH and the grant funding agencies for the scientists across all these universities in America, nobody comes close to matching the amount of research investment as we see in the US today. Nor do we really see the amount of research talent compared to the US with all the great universities and great professors, he said. But where he thinks Korea is potentially even better is at leveraging the infrastructure and ecosystem that they already have. The US funds fantastic, very basic discovery science, and Koreans have constantly surprised me in the biotech companies in creating and taking all of these discoveries together and creating products out of them that are differentiated, Ji said. He also pointed to Korea's manufacturing capabilities across sectors, which has always been strong. Innovation, top-tier science and engineering, and a very hard-working society. You put that together and you can create a lot of magic, he added in the interview. Check out the free access article on Scrip for the full video. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to receive all episodes. And a reminder that these stories, which were just a fraction of those published last week in Scrip, are linked in the description below. Log in to access all of Scrip's content or take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.